Happy to welcome you as I say thanks to the Most High God for the gift of another day today. The living God who has graced us. He's got us covered in this life. He's got us taken care of in the next life. And so we gather in the name of the risen Jesus Christ to welcome his grace upon our lives today. And I'm so thankful for those joining us at Gables Campus, Kendall Campus, the church that's joining us online from wherever you're making your connection with us today. And you've got to celebrate with us today. I want you to hear this because we are a church that loves young people, and we've got a group that just had a middle school retreat with us. Could we hear from you guys? Would you just sound off so that they could know that this is a good place to be? And wherever you're making your connection, you need to know this. This church loves families. This church loves young people. We, we don't believe young people are the future. Hey, we believe young people are right now. The future is right here with us. And I'm so thankful for each of you and can't wait to hear the stories likewise that uh, I'm so glad you survived. Everybody, everybody made it through the weekend, lock in. So happy for that. Um, we also know that we are part of a hurting world where hearts and homes are broken. And, uh, and so our prayers continue to be with every family that has been touched and affected by the Surfside crisis and to the many across the nation around the world who have been sending your prayers our way. We appreciate that. Also, we are not unaware of the crisis in Haiti, and we are praying for our friends and family members there. And the team in Guatemala, the, thank you, God, that you so love the world and that we can pray for the world to be blessed through Christ as well. He's the one who told us, let's come. Come to me, and you will find rest for your souls. So may t today be a day when we experience anew the rest that God brings to our troubled souls. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, Sartre is the philosopher who is credited with this famous line, hell is other people. Do you know what he means? Do you, anybody know what he means? Relating to people is not easy, and it can be especially hard, and there are some parts of the Bible, some stories that just take you right into the hard place. We've been in one of those for a while. Hosea's story, what Hosea is going through with his unfaithful wife is a hard and hellish thing in the story. And uh, perhaps you would agree that for many people, betrayal, abuse of trust, disrespect, disloyalty, those are all reasons to, uh, to find a new relationship, if that's what you're experiencing in your relationship. Or if not to find a new relationship, at least get out of the hellish one that you're in. But it's not as easy as it sounds. Like the old song says, breaking up is hard to do. Uh, and some of us know that story, too, from personal experience. Man, it's hard. And it can be hellish. Uh, I was given a book earlier in the COVID season. A friend gave me this book. It's entitled Trains, Jesus, and Murder, the Gospel According to Johnny Cash. Anybody know who Johnny Cash is? My dad was a big Johnny Cash fan. Millennials are rediscovering Johnny Cash right now. Um, and chapter three in this book is about the man in black, and it begins with these words. The first place to look for Christ is in hell. If you're looking to find God in this world, then start by looking in the hellish 
places. I don't know what you think about that. But the book's author is a uh, professor of psychology at Abilene Christian University. He leads Bible study every week for inmates at a maximum security prison. And he says, Johnny Cash, the man in black, sometimes makes people wonder, well, is he a man of God or is he an outlaw? Because, you know, he did concerts in prison for inmates at Folsom Prison, at San Quentin Prison. Bono, the lead singer for U2, uh, he said this. He said, Johnny Cash doesn't sing to the damned. He sings with the damned. And sometimes you feel like he might prefer their company. Well, here's a question for you. What do you do when you find yourself in a relationship with someone whose choices, behavior, and life are dead end? They're going nowhere. And yet, you care deeply for them. Dr. Henry Cloud is a trusted relational counselor. He's speaking at the Global Leadership Summit again this year, and uh, he says that there are times with employees, with businesses, and with relationships when necessary endings are in order. He has a book entitled Necessary Endings. That means that's a time when you have to give up in order to move forward. And the book can be a very helpful tool in trying to assess, am I in one of those right now in a relationship that's gone toxic or destructive and breaking up is hard to do? How do you make your exit? Especially when you love the person who's doing the toxic thing. The unfaithfulness, the betrayal, the abuse, the abandonment. I mean, on one hand, it's clear this relationship is going nowhere. It has no future. But on the other hand... There's this voice in you that's saying, but I don't want to leave them. And then you say, but the facts are, they don't change, they aren't willing, and they keep on violating your trust. Now, if you've never found yourself in a situation like that, thank God. But maybe you are listening today because someone else is going to need what you hear. And when we open Hosea chapter 13 of the Bible story today, this is the hellish place where we find God. The fifth and final cycle of assessing the situation, the relationship with his beloved Israel, the northern kingdom at the time. And God, God is in a sad and hard place. I'm not even going to tell you how hard. Not, not yet. I will in a minute. But first I want to show you, where does God's memory go when he hits this hard place in his relationship? Chapter 13, verse 4. It's like self-reflecting. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I cared for you in the desert. I fed them. It's like he's gone back to the early story of love that he had with his redeeming power with the people called Israel. How he came, to, how he came into their slavery to bring them out of their captivity. And then how he cared for them and provided for them and took them across the desert and into the promised land. Is God's mind, God's memory is going back to this original dream that he had for their relationship together. I'm thinking, why is it so hard 
to leave toxic situations. Sometimes, because the original dream was so full of positives, and that's where God's memory goes, to when it all began. When people come to me, when they have troubles, come, and they come to me, some couples, some families, and, uh, and they come wondering, does my family have a future? I, I typically always ask them just to tag up with the dream that first began your relationship. Where did it all begin, you know? What first brought you together? And then start listing the benefits that have come to you through the relationship. Make a list. I mean, remember. And then feel the memories. Try to re-enter the original dream. Every couple has troubles. Every couple has hardships. Every couple has conflicts. Every relationship faces obstacles. And those are opportunities to grow and to grow closer. But you got to know how to respond. You got to know how to enter in. You got to know how to get to the other side. Relationship counselors say this, deeper intimacy is just is waiting just on the other side of conflict. But you gotta know how to get there. And communication is a lifelong process. And communication starts with your own self-awareness of where the dream began and how do we keep the dream alive. And that made me wonder, well, what is God's dream when it comes to human marriage? If he was revisiting the dream of his relationship with his people, then what about the dream that he started up as relationship in human marriage? Because that's woven into the story of Hosea. And here's what the Bible says, a summary verse. Find a good spouse, you find a good life. Even more, the favor of God. Proverbs 18, 22, message version. May God make that one real in our lives. God intends for marriage to bring divine favor into life. Now, what does that look like? Well, I researched some reports uh, from respectable sources about the benefits of marriage. For instance, Harvard Medical School, 2016. They published an article noting the health advantages of marriage. And here's what their research suggests. Married people live longer than single people, have fewer heart attacks and strokes, lower chance of becoming depressed, survive major operations more often, less likely to have advanced cancer at the time of diagnosis, and longer post-cancer survival. Single people, don't shoot the messenger. You know, I'm just reporting the results here, you know, from the story. And by the way, if you want to talk, just talk to your campus pastor, see if he can you know, knows anybody that he can help fix something up. You know, you, you never know what might be waiting for you at church. No, just kidding. No, that's a bad joke. No, how do I get, how do I get out of this? You know, I saw this prayer on social media this week. It said, Lord, I'm not rushing you for a relationship. I'm just asking for the tracking number. So maybe God will bless you with a tracking number and you can track together. You never know. It happens. It happens. My point here is trying to, I'm trying to help married people right now who are in a hard place and you're thinking about doing something rash. And I want to say, let's revisit the dream. Let's see what the advantages would be for marriage. Time Magazine, 2018. It ran a report from the journal 
health psychology and a recent study they did that showed positive health outcomes for from a healthy heart to a trimmer waistline for married people. Um, it's like 19,000 married people were surveyed from 1978 to 2010. 32 years, these same couples were surveyed, 19,000 of them, and here's what they discovered. Those who rated their marriage as very happy or pretty happy had 20% lower odds of dying early than people who said their marriages were not too happy. That made me think of Rodney Dangerfield. He once said, my wife and I were happy for 20 years. Then we met. It's like, yeah, keep up with me. I mean, I'm, I'm full of them today, right? Okay, you'll, here's another journal's headline. It says, why is marriage good for you? And then right under it, the subtitle said this, you'll get richer, you'll stay saner, you'll live longer, you'll be happier. And then the article also concluded with this, data showing that married people have better sex more often despite all the media marketing and the entertainment messaging to the contrary. Barna Research, 2020 said that 95% of American working couples believe that they can maintain their careers, come together as raising a healthy family, and then stay in love. Now, why am I telling us all of this? Because marriage is worth doing. Marriage is worth keeping. Your family is worth protecting. Your family is worth fighting for. It's worth bleeding for. It's worth suffering for. I'm telling you that because breaking up is hard to do, but not breaking up is also hard to do. And when you're in the hard place, Hosea 13 is where God is in the hard place. He's in the last cycle of his anger with Israel. And relationships involve anger. He's reflecting on this original dream and how wonderful it could have been and how worth saving it is. And it's why we've seen in the story he tries over and over again and again to try to turn their hearts back to him, but they're, they're, not, they're not coming. They're not turning. He doesn't want to let them go. But he's also facing the facts of their nonstop unfaithfulness. And now it is like to the nth degree. Chapter 13, verse 2. God's observation. Now they sin more and more. They make idols for themselves. And look at this one. They offer human sacrifices. Are you kidding me? Israel? Offering human sacrifices? You think that got God's attention? Yes. And he has warned them again and again with words and words and words. And now they're not listening to any of his words. And so since it seems they won't respond to words, you know where he turns next? Pain. Verse 13, pain will come. Pains as of a woman in childbirth will come like labor pains on an expectant woman. And it'll be hard labor because the child refuses to respond, refuses to be born. 
refuses to respond to God's heart. And so here's the story again. God is torn again. He's like torn between justice against sin and his desire to not give them up. This is the struggle. The guilt must be called out to account. Justice must be done. It's gone too far. Pain will be the messenger. They will reap what they have sown. Verse 9, you are destroyed, O Israel, because you're against me. You're against your helper. When you refuse the one who's coming to help, then what's left? Verse 12, the guilt of Ephraim, that's a nickname for the northern kingdom, is stored up and his sins are kept on record. It's like the bad karma is coming to visit. Verse 16 is the hardest to read, but nobody's going to escape. The indictment has now become a judgment and is now moved to sentencings from God's perspective. And this is all a foreshadowing of what we see in the New Testament, that all of our sins are already known by our Creator, Sustainer, and Lover God and will be revealed at the last day of judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, here's a hard text. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In Revelation 20, not only Paul, but John says that there's a great white throne. And before the great white throne of God, all the dead, great and small, are going to be appearing to give account for each person to be judged according to what they have done. So, you know, I, <laughs> sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but if I see somebody it looks like, man, I just wish they'd get what they got coming to them. I don't know if you ever wish that. And then I thought, well, wait. <laughs> I don't want that coming to me, right? So I read a verse like this and say, I, I wouldn't mind you doing it for some, but not me. Well, Hosea 13 is an event that is foreshadowing God acting as judge of the sins of the people he loves. And then here's this irony. I mean, the music just got dark and big and bad, and then you got this irony splashing right in, verse 14. This is God speaking. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh, death, are your plagues? Where, O oh, grave, is your destruction? Now, if that sounds familiar to anybody who might have read the New Testament lately, that's the verse that Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter of the New Testament, about what Christ rising from the dead means for people like us. In our sin, that's where Hosea first introduced the truth, that we are in our sin, mortal, perishable, but Paul says, as this mortal must put on imperishable, immortality, and then when that happens, the prophecy of Isaiah is going to be fulfilled. Death's been swallowed up in victory. Hosea's prophecy, the guy we're talking about today, is going to be fulfilled. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? So what is God up to? Well, in 8th century B.C., God is running Israel to know that death and judgment of their sin is coming. But his grace is deeper and stronger 
and bigger than the nation's history and than a culture's rebellion, greater than the grave. God is saying, you know what? I'm still going to be there for you. You can stiff arm me all the way down, but I am going to be there for you in life that is deeper than the grave and stronger than death and greater than this life. And the witnesses of the new covenant, those of us who live on this side of the cross and the resurrection, we can tell you we saw that promise come true in Jesus Christ. One day, all of our sins that are known will be revealed. And at that day, God will be the judge. But through Christ, he has already done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he has delivered us from the penalty of our sin that we might be freed from the threat of eternal destruction. And this is where that verse began. God's in this turmoil. But then Paul lays hold of it by the inspiration of the Spirit and says, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is bigger than the consequences of your sin. And Christ has come to remove the barrier, if you will, to take away sin. The sin of the whole world on the cross, that's why he went there, because he loves you. He has victory for you, and he's calling you so that he can give it to you if you will listen and respond. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? He says this is a gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? What does that mean? It means that you follow him every day. You're letting him lead your life. That's all that means. This is Christ Journey Church. We help people find and follow Jesus Christ. We help them find him as Savior and follow him as Lord. Because when we follow him, he gives his life to us. And that's what it means to follow him. So have you received the gift of victory on his behalf? You receive it by faith. You don't have to earn it. You believe that he died for your sin, that he rose from the dead, and you trust Jesus of Nazareth as God's anointed Christ risen for you, and his victory now becomes yours. Now, somebody might be wondering, but how can God judge me? How does God judge me? Well, God doesn't judge the way humans do. God, God is pure in all of his motives and manifestations. God is pure through and through, and he is absolutely true. And so as holy light in his essence and his character, it is God's nature to reveal anything that is less than true, less than light. He exposes every sin, every shadow. Just like fire will burn away the dross of metal because that's just what it does. It's just fire being fire by nature burns away the dross. So also God to our sins, but in Christ, God has covered our sin, does full justice by his own body, and now offers forgiveness as a gift if we will turn to him and receive him. But some people don't turn. There's the facts. Some people don't receive the gift. They're like Israel in Hosea 13. This is like the fifth time around. God has cycled around. He's given words and words and words, and they, they've resisted. They've just paid, they've paid attention to somebody else. They're doing their own thing. And so finally, God is saying, well, pain is coming, and pain is going to get your attention. But when pain comes, they're not paying attention to the pain either. They just sin more and more and then pit themselves against letting God be their helper. 
Well, then how can he help? They shut their hearts and they close their eyes, preferring darkness. Here's what John 3, 19 says. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. It's like God has done everything required to uh, restore our relationship with him because he loves us. He loves you. He wants you in his family. He doesn't want to lose anybody. He's torn just like he was with Israel. And so he uses words. He uses his word, the Bible. He uses his word, the gospel. He speaks words through his messengers, trying to get our attention, trying to wake us up. But then when words are not enough, it's not beyond God to apply a little pain. You know, Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then there's a verse in there that says, He maketh me to lie down. As a, sometimes God literally makes you lie down. Why is that? Because He knows some of us will never look up until we're flat on our backs. And because He loves you, He will lay you down that you might pay attention. Why are we so belligerent? Why are we so stubborn? When it's our stubbornness that's hurting our marriages, when it's our belligerence that's breaking up our families, when it's hardening our hearts, and then you know what happens. We say, well, I got this. I'll do it my way. And then we go my way only to discover that what we thought was so right is now turned into something so wrong, and I have been led astray by my own pride, by my own, here's what the Bible calls it, the mystery of iniquity. That means there's something off in my moral compass that leads me astray, and when I follow the wrong way, it blinds me to what God, to God's love, and it binds me in sin instead. So that's why throughout the Bible, you'll hear this verse again and again. It says, hey, today, if you hear God's call, don't harden your heart. When God calls, that's the time to say, Hello, and get the conversation going, right? And here's the thing. None of us know when our time is up. And then it's gone. So don't say to yourself, you know what? My wife, she's got enough God for the whole family. My, my mother, oh, she's got enough religion for all of you know. No, don't say that. You know why? Because this is like Disney. Everybody's got to have your own ticket. You want to get in, you got to have your own magic band. Do you have one? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Are they expecting you there? Do you have yours with God? He doesn't want to let any He doesn't want to let you go, but he will. If you persist in resisting him, if you keep choosing against him, Jesus said, you know, there's two paths you can go in life. You can respond to the true God as the true God and let him be your true God, or you can live as if you're your own God, and then there's coming a parting of the ways, and when that way comes, if you don't choose to receive God's gift of salvation, you're going to be left to face the justice of eternity on your own. Don't be that guy. You know, some parts of the Bible are so challenging to deal with. This is one of them, isn't it? People avoid them. Because they're hard. <laughs> Why do we avoid certain? Well, because it's the same reason people avoid the bathroom scales. You know, 
you're going to see something on there maybe you don't want to see. The same reason people don't go get their annual checkup from the doctor. Because they, they're afraid maybe the doctor's going to tell them something they don't want to hear. But listen to me. If that's you, hearing the hard stuff can save your life. That's why we go. It's hard. But it can be life-saving. Remember that scene? You can't handle the truth. I think most of us, yeah, everybody remembers that scene. I, I think uh, most of us want to believe that we're open-minded enough that, uh, that we can handle the truth, that we're strong enough to face and handle the truth. But when those streams of light, bright light, start streaking down through the dark clouds of denial and avoidance, and they start breaking into our view, you know, it's like, it's hard to let the light shine in. John said men prefer darkness. People love darkness because their deeds are evil. The light shines in, but we really don't like it because it exposes stuff. You know, it's embarrassing. Stuff shows up that you don't always see in the dark. When you step physically out of a darkened room into the bright, sunlit outdoors, how do you do that? Let me guess, like this. <laughs> you block it and squint, right? Did you know the same thing happens with spiritual truth? That when God tries to break in, we block it and we, and it happens relationally too. There can be a relational, those moments, relation, relational truth is just like in your face. And you've tried to block it and you're squinting it away, you're trying to squint it away. And it's hard when a relationship, when it looks like it's just not going to work. And the one that you've given yourself to time and again, it's just not going to find the future that you've hoped for. That's where God is with Israel. It looks like it's over. It looks like it's dead. And then God says, not quite. <laughs> God says, where, O oh grave, is your victory? Where, O oh death? In other words, I'm bigger than death. God is saying, I'm God. I'm the Lord your God. Not breaking up is hard to do, and I'm going to go do the hard thing. I'm not going to break up with you. God is light. Here's the scenario again. God is light. That means that God is true, and he exposes by his very nature everything that is less than true in our lives. And then that's why sin is always called out and must be given account. But it also means that God is faithful Faithful and true. And that means he wants to keep all the pieces together. He doesn't want to lose any. God doesn't want to break up with his people. God doesn't want to break up with you. Now, when you find yourself in a relationship, your marriage, your family, it looks like it's over and done. Could I ask you, could God be saying, but not quite? I know a couple they divorced each other earlier in my ministry and uh, were apart for a time. And then, lo and behold, I mean, it looked like it was over. It was done. They were apart for a time. And then they got back together, and they actually remarried each other and asked me to officiate the service. I'm thinking, I have seen, I've seen God bring marriages back from the dead. I've seen God save marriages, save Parents, save families, change men. 
I've seen God change women. I've seen God do miracles in relationships, and I've seen them get baptized in Christ Journey Church. It's hard to manage the tension sometimes between doing what you know is right and doing it in a way that's not going to hurt the people you love. Parents have to deal with this tension all the time. Supervisors do too. Good leaders do too. God's doing it right now. And, and you know that you know that tension. Is it time for a necessary ending? Or is it time for a resurrection? If you want your family to have a future, then start with you. You staying close to God, connected to God, is going to help. And maybe that's the point of this talk for you. Is it time for some fresh self-assessment to not just go through the motions, but to say, Lord, what's happening in my life? What's happening in my soul? What's happening with my heart? Is it time for a fresh cleansing brother, sister, and a filling of God's spirit? Is it time to bring your marriage and say, Lord, this is not mine. I want it to be yours. Would you breathe life into this so that our family can feel and taste your life and your love? What's God saying to you? And I got one final item that the marriage research revealed that I've been saving for you. Here's the question. What proportion of unhappily married couples who stick it out stay miserable? You know what the data shows? That within five years, only 12% of those couples that said we are very unhappily married when they stick it out are still unhappy. 88% are in a rising category of happy to quite happy marriage. And from the most unhappy, from the unhappiest marriages, 70% of them say their marriage now, after five years, is very or quite happy. Here's the word. Just as good marriages can go bad, can I tell you something? God can take a bad marriage and make it good. God can perform resurrection miracles in our hearts and in our homes if we let him. Human love fails. God's love doesn't. And uh, that means we can trust him to deliver us from the hell we experience in this life and the hell that might be waiting in the next life. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, thank you for so entering into the story of our human experience through this prophet's life that it just feels so real to us. We know this story in so many ways. We've, we live this story. And we need wisdom to know how do we do it? How do we hang in there? How do we apply grace and truth that can bring life and love to life in our families? And so I'm praying right now, Lord, for a husband, for a wife, for, for someone who is reaching out to you in a hard place, that your Holy Spirit would speak wisdom to them and bring comfort to them and pour healing into them. I'm also praying for somebody whose heart has been stirred and they, they don't know what it is that they might be sensing or feeling, and yet your voice is speaking and saying, this is your day, I love you, respond to me. 
I'm here for you. If that's you, then would you say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I open my heart to you. Open my eyes wider to your truth. That I could feel your love, know your love, and in the forgiveness of my sins, now know how to start sharing that forgiveness with others. And maybe you're here sitting, wow, God, you know, I would love to have a tracking number. And I want to thank you, Heavenly Father, that you care about each of your children, all of your sons and daughters, that you desire to bring favor and blessing into their life and that marriage is one of the ways that you want to pour favor into into our lives. And so I'm praying for men and women who would just say, Lord, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, and I'm open to do your will. But if doing your will means doing it in your way with a partner as husband and wife, would you, would you lead me? Would you bless me? And Lord, for every hurting place in every heart, we pray healing. Such tender things we've been talking about. But we thank you that you have heard our prayer and we welcome your comfort now as we make it in Jesus' name. Amen.